0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, church. I want to welcome all of you that are here, all of you that are online. If you're visiting with us, welcome in the name of Jesus. May His grace and peace be on you this morning. Well, we have, uh, we've had a family here that has been visiting but they are no visitors, but I say this because it's their last Sunday before they go back to Belgium. Paul and Carol Brazel are our missionaries. They are part of us, and they are sent by us to uh, proclaim the Word of God and give hope in Belgium, and they've been on furlough and visiting us with us for hope. It feels like such a short time, but it's also been quite a, quite a bit of time. And they've traveled around, but they've gotten to spend quite a, quite a bit of time here on Sunday mornings. And with uh, several different groups throughout the congregation. So as this, their last Sunday before they head back to Belgium, we wanted to spend time blessing them with prayer. So I want to call Paul and Carol, if you guys come up. And I want to call the, the shepherds of this congregation to come up. Uh, and their wives are welcome too. I want to call those on the missions team. Really, if anybody wants to come up and lay hands on them, you're more than welcome to. They'll be blessed by that. The, the more Paul says the more the better. So come on up. And I've asked uh, one of our shepherds, John Osborne, to lead us and say a blessing over, over the, the Brazos this morning. We're very thankful for Paul and
1: Carol and their, not just their ministry in in Belgium, but their ministry amongst us. If you've been connected to them for some time, they come here and they encourage us and they strengthen us uh, with our partnership and ministry together. And so we're thankful for Paul and Carol, Matthew, Uh, and his children who are here this morning, uh, Adam and Miranda and Jesse, their entire family, we're we're grateful for your life and ministry who are a testimony to God's love. Let's let's pray together. God, we praise you for Paul and Carol and how they have served uh, so faithfully um, in Belgium and really with us, God, and how they've encouraged us and cared for us. But God, may they be Um, may you um, as they step off the plane uh, into Belgium God will you give them every place that they put their foot and it will be a declaration of your love and your goodness and mercy um, in their community um, in that region as they uh, as they teach and serve and share and love and care for uh, people that you have uh, brought to them. God, send them with uh, strength and energy, and um, send them with every good thing that they need to accomplish your purposes, as you have laid out before them. We praise you, God, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.
0: Well, Paul told me before, I said, Hey, do you mind if we pray? for you. And he says, yes, please, and don't stop. Uh, We have missionaries that are a part of our family that we have sent around the world as extensions of the work we believe God is doing in our midst here at the Springs. And it's tempting to forget because they're a long ways away. But as a former missionary that was in Uganda that, that desperately craved the connection back to a home culture, uh, living kind of between one culture and another, desperately craving, I can tell you those, the prayers that you continue to pray, not only for Paul and Carol, but for all our missionaries, they're felt and they're appreciated, and God hears them and honors them. So continue that prayer uh, that we prayed over the Brazils this morning. We are in, our theme this year is grow. We're in a season where we want to talk about growing. We, are, we feel like that we are um, gathered in the name uh, of the Father, and that to be grow into the image of His Son, and that to be sent by the power of His Spirit, that is what our mission is. That is what we want to be, who we want to be at this church. And so this year we want to focus on growing. And one of the ways that we do that, that Christians have always done that, is by reading Scripture. We not only read Scripture here, and we make a concerted effort. I I love Brett and the worship team. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but the public reading of Scripture has been a part of this church uh, for several years. That kind of went away for a while in many, many churches, just to get up and read Scripture together. Because we trust in the power of God's Word in our lives, and just hearing it is powerful. And so I, I thank them for that, that we read lots of Scripture. But we not only read it here, we read it uh, in small groups. We read it alone. We read it at home. And so we wanted to talk about growing in our, into the image of Christ through reading Scripture. And how do we read Scripture? I could become an easy thing on one hand, but it becomes very complicated. And so in this sermon series, we're going to remind you of the the four questions. These aren't the only questions you could ask about Scripture, but we think these are important. If you're reading Scripture, that four questions you could ask about any text is this. What does it say about God? What does it say about the world that we live in? And by the way, I want to remind you, a lot of times there is problems. Most of the times there is a problem, but Scripture just doesn't say bad things about the world. It actually affirms it. So don't just look for the bad things. Look for the good things. What does it say about grace? What does it say about God's gift to us? And then, what does it require of us? So we're going to ask those questions of our text today, which is in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, 1 through 18, says this. You foolish Galatians... If it really was in vain. So again I ask you. Does God give you his spirit. And work miracles among you. By the works of the law. Or by your believing what you heard. So also Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. So understand then. That those who have faith are children of Abraham, for Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to to a human covenant that has been duly established, so so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So Paul says this, what I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Let's pray. Father, as always, we give you thanks for your word. For your word speaks promise to us, and that promise is life. So, Father, may you give us ears to hear, hearts to follow, bodies and lives that will obey. God, I ask for the gift of preaching. We pray in the promised, your promised one to us, we pray in the name of Jesus. So the first question that we want to ask is, what does this say about who God is? Now, you don't have to begin with this question. And sometimes it requires that we begin with the question, what does it require of us, in order to answer the question, what does it say about God? Because sometimes we can ask, what what is required of us? What kind of God would ask us to do this? What does God, what does it say about who God is? But in this text, you have to go all the way to the end, to verse 18. Galatians 3.18, it says this. And God, in his grace, gave it, the inheritance, to Abraham through a promise. Right off the bat, I want you to see in this text that the question, who is God, in this text, Paul said, God is a God that promises. He's a God that promises. His promise is to Abraham, but His promise is not just for Abraham. It is for all the people in the world because God has promised to bless all people through Abraham and the promises that He made to him. And the promises that God made to Abraham is the promise of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news. And there is nothing, I want you to hear this, there is nothing that can nullify, void, invalidate, reverse, rescind, revoke, cancel, do away with, or abolish God's promises. Can I add another word? All the things, all the words can't take away from God's promises. God has promised and you can trust His promises. In all places, in all time, in all circumstances. God has made a promise to us. And there is nothing that can take that away. And Paul says not even the law can do this. Paul says to the Galatians, the law introduced 430 years later after the promise was given does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. He is a God who promises All the time, everywhere, under any circumstances, those promises can be trusted. Paul wants you to know that unequivocally. Take it to the bank. It's done. So, you ask the question, what is the grace in this? And of course it follows with this God about what he promises. In Galatians 3, 13 and 14, it says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing that was given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. By the way, when you hear Gentiles, he's talking about you and I. Now, I know there's people in here that says, but Ben, I have Jewish background. But most of us in here, I imagine, are Gentile. So that by faith, we, us, those of us in this room, might receive the promise of the Spirit. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace Gave it to Abraham through a promise. Here's the grace. The inheritance of the promises. The promise of Christ. The promise of his Holy Spirit. The promise of salvation. He promises that he will redeem us from the curse. He promises that we'll be justified through Jesus. And he promises that all people will be blessed through Abraham's seed. Jesus Christ. This is why we send the Brazils to Belgium. But we just don't send the Brazils to Belgium. The Rorcasties to Germany. But we just don't go to Germany. We go to Rwanda. We go to Singapore. We go to Greece. We go around the world. Because these promises are not just for me. They're not just for you. They're not just for a certain type of people. They are for all people. And I know that's a simple truth that most of us believe. But the reality of that, I want to remind you of that, is for all people. And is for you. But in the world that's contingent upon the promises of God, we're tempted to live like this. And this is what I think it says about the world. Verse 2 through 5, and then 10. Paul, he's in a mood when he writes this, this letter. You could call it that. I didn't even put up here at the start, you foolish Galatians. But he's in a bit of a mood. This is really important to Paul because it should be really important to, to all believers. He says this, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Almost like God say, you've asked me, now it's my turn. You answer me this when God speaks to Job, right? Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So I ask you again, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Or by your believing in what you heard? It says, for all who rely on the works of the law, they're under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So here's what I think we learn about the world. Here's the temptation. In a world that is contingent on the God's promises, Our temptation is to live as if trusting promises, trusting the promise of God is not enough. We're not very trusting people. And I'm not talking about this church, I'm just talking about human beings. Now I believe, I deeply believe, that how we are made, we are made to trust I think when humans are at their best, they are trusting beings. Trusting God, trusting others, trusting for the best, but this is what happens when sin and death happens, right? That if you get lied to, what happens the next time you're in a relationship? You don't trust, do you? I mean, maybe you do, but it's hard, a little bit harder. In other words, we need to be saved not only from what we do, we need to be saved from all the stuff done to us because you've been betrayed or lied to or deceived. It's difficult to trust the next time, isn't it? And I think at our very core, trust, we are made to trust. That's how God made us. And we are at our very best. We are fully human. We are most human when we are trusting but we're not very trusting. We don't like to rely on others or something outside, something outside of who we are or what we can do. i reminded, when I was thinking about trust, I reminded, was reminded of a famous quote. You might remember this, the late Donald Rumsfeld. He was a former Secretary of Defense for the United States of America. He served under uh, President Ford and then later under President Bush. And when he served under President Bush, he was talking about a certain such international situation, and if it was very simple but a very profound statement. He says, trust, but verify. Now, there are maybe lots of situations, for good reason, that you want to verify. But that statement kind of epitomizes our relationship with trust. We want to trust because that's what it means to be human. But just trusting is not enough. It's just not enough. We want to trust, but we feel like trusting is too risky, too intangible. It doesn't feel completely responsible to just trust on its own. Even though it's the way I think we're made. It runs counter to who we think we are and how we think the world really is. So Paul is encountering this group called the Judaizers, In Galatians. Those who have influenced the church in Galatia. And for the Judaizers, those who believed that to become a Christian, Judaizers believed that to first become a Christian, you had to become a Jew. That's what it means to be a Judaizer. It was not enough to trust in God's promises, the promise that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. One also had to observe the law. But salvation by the gracious promises of God sounds uncomplicated on one level. But promises are these odd things. Because promises, they're they're intangible at times. They're nebulous, they're, they're hard to catch and promises are hard to hold. And the Judaizers demand something into which they could sink their hooks into. They wanted more than just this promise. They needed something more tangible. They wanted to sink their hooks into. They they needed something that would be proof of their salvation. They needed to hear the compliments. They needed to feel their climb towards heaven. But promises are these funny things. Promises demand an eternity of standing on your tiptoes, trying to just see, look ahead. Promises demand an eternity of neck stretching. You know when you're in a crowd and you're trying to get up on your toes? look and see in order to glimpse their fulfillment it's an eternity of doing this just to glimpse it that's what a promise is like but the Judaizers they had to do something the promise was not enough trusting the promises were not enough they had to do something, something on which they could rest, something more than a promise, something which could, they could find a concrete comfort in. The Judaizers wanted more than a promise. They wanted to verify, so they turned to the law. However, in this text, Paul insisted that the promises are primary. they precede the law. This little text, since we're talking about Scripture, it's made me think quite a bit. I've thought about this. As one who teaches Scripture, not only here, but the place I work. It made me think about the metaphors we use for Scripture. Metaphors are very helpful, right? The Bible is like, and you've heard these. They're simple ones. Like, maybe you've heard this one. The Bible... This is, this is God's owner's manual. You ever heard that one? Use that one? You know, it's like when you get your new car, or it's at least new to you, and you want to know how something works. For example, we got our new car. Kim wanted to figure out how to program, how this car, be programmed the garage door opener. So where'd you go? The owner's manual. But when you go to the owner's manual, How many of you have ever read the entire owner's manual for your car? That's not owner's manuals work, do they? I mean, if you want to fall asleep, read your owner's manual. But what do you do, right? How do you program the garage door opener? Section 15.2.4. That's where you go, right? Or, if that annoying little warning light comes on... And you have no idea what that warning light means. And some of us, some of you out here, just ignore it, don't you? But some of you, you've got to figure it out. So where do you go? Section ten point three point one. That sometimes scripture works like an owner's manual. But when we at, when we think about it like an owner's manual, there's certain questions that we want to ask. There's certain questions. I think Brett talked about this, like uh, what the Bible says about, right? And you can go and find what it says about money, what it says about sports, and what it says about. But the questions, it may, what does this mean? Or how do I do this? Or how do I think about this? And you go and you look for specific topics, right? But. Scripture, that that metaphor, like all metaphors, falls short because why would you go through and have read the Bible from beginning to end because you would never do that with an owner's manual? Or try this one, have you ever talked about the scripture as a map? For those of you that are a little bit older, like me, you remember pulling out these maps, right? Putting it on the hood of your car, or looking at those maps. But don't worry, young people, if you don't know what a folding map is. Because Google Maps or your map on your phone works the same way. And if you use the metaphor of a map, there's only really three things that are important. Where you are, where you're going, and how to get there. Nothing else really matters on a map, does it? Like, you don't scroll out, you just follow that blue line, right? Where you are, where you're going, and how to get there. Now, that's really good. I think scripture does answer some questions about where we are, where we're going, and how we get there. But the questions tend to be about how we get there is, what do I do? And that's a good question. So, in our tradition, we thought about it as a map. And remember the plan of salvation? Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. I want to affirm all of those practices. They are Christian practices. And if you want to follow Jesus, it means believing, it means repenting and changing, it means confessing, it means giving your life to Jesus in baptism. But we tend sometimes to focus on those things without saying, wait a minute. How do I get there, what's the way? Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. He's the map, he's the way, he's the beginning, he's the end, he's the way, he's... It's all about Jesus. But I think there's one last metaphor that when you begin talking about law that I think of the most. It's this metaphor of scripture is like a constitution which is a legal document. And earlier in our tradition in Churches of Christ, this is good for us to remember, because all churches have traditions, even if they're non-denominational or say they don't come from anywhere. They all come from somewhere. We come from somewhere. In our tradition, whether you knew it or not, the the early people in the restoration movement thought of Scripture as a constitution. So if you look at a constitution, it's about laws, it's about structure, how do we structure things what do we practice what do we don't practice how should the church be structured and those aren't bad things those are good things but you tend not to ask the four questions of the constitution that you would ask of our text our four questions is who's is god What's the world like? What's the grace? And what does it require of us? Instead, reading the Constitution, it may make you ask these questions. What rules can I find in this text to follow? What parts of this am I already nailing? What parts of this text are you getting wrong think about how the Constitution's used against the people think you're getting it wrong how can I make the constitution clear to you and the last one how can I make this passage help me feel spiritually superior you may not ask that question but all those questions lead to that one But Paul says this, that Scripture Scripture is God's revelation of his promises to us in Jesus Christ. And we find that in the story and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so the question, what does it require of us? In Galatians 3, 6 through 9 and 14, it says this. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credit to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith, those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And promises, I think this, promises demand more of us than we think they do. Promises demand more than an eternity of tiptoeing and, and, and neck stretching. They give hope that leads to action. I don't know if you heard, but certain football teams played yesterday from this state and won. But what was interesting, I was watching the news late last night, and what I saw was they were doing a story on tailgaters. Do you know what time these people get out in the morning before a football game? <laughs> we were out here at 6 a.m. setting up our tent and getting everything ready for the game. The game was at 7.30 at night. And you didn't even go into the game. You just sat outside the stadium. That's what, the, that's what those, most of those people do. Not, not all most of them going to the game. But do you see how that hope, that anticipation, led to all kinds of action? Think about the majority of you who has experienced this, and, and hopefully, God willing, those that are younger will experience this one day. Think about the promise of a child when you know that you're child, that you have a child coming into the world. It's a great and awesome promise. Think about all that parents do in anticipation. Maybe just the mom. Guys, in their own way, do it. Get ready. They get the room set up, the crib ready. They prepare to welcome a child into the world. And all it is is a promise. Something they're waiting on with tiptoes and stretched necks, waiting to see the fulfillment of that promise. So I want to end today with Paul's question to the Galatians, but it's actually a question to you and I. The question is this Did you receive the Spirit? by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard? You and I, we have heard the promises of God. And the question is this, is faith enough? And how will you live by faith? Let's stand and sing together.